really by the way that, that we get to see and experience God in so many different ways, right? Scripture says that all of the earth was filled with his glory. So whether that's music or lyrics or people, uh, just bless me. I'm so thankful that, that God ministers to us in a thousand different ways and many that we probably don't even know or see. Uh, and I think it's just going to get better and better. So uh, if you've been with us, you know the last couple of weeks we've been walking through a series on the Sermon on the Mount. And today we're going to be in Matthew uh, chapter 5, verse 4. And God's word says this, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Now I think when we walk into the Sermon on the Mount, I know at least up the hill, uh, Ben and Bill kind of unpacked some of this. It's important to not only hear what Jesus says, but also why he says it. So to understand Jesus' primary objective in the Sermon on the Mount really helps us uh, kind of interpret uh, his heart and his meaning behind this. And so I believe his primary objective is similar to his entire objective for his purpose of coming on earth. And essentially, Jesus, as he came to earth, remember, he continued to talk about the kingdom of God, and he started to redefine it. But, but predominantly, he was saying the kingdom of God is among you, right? He said the kingdom of God has arrived in the fact that Jesus, the Son of God, God in human form has arrived. And so I, I believe that um, when he starts to make some of these comments on the Sermon on the Mount that on face value they're kind of hard to interpret and understand what does, what, what does he mean. Uh, it's important to recognize that his motive here is predominantly redefining what we see as blessed. And in our culture, if, you, if we talk about being blessed by God, most of the time it has to do with a circumstance that seems to be in your favor or perhaps it's things that you possess. So whether that be material things or attractiveness or athletic ability or very intelligent. Uh, maybe it's in relationships where you have a ton of good relationships so people say that you're very blessed. Uh, if you're driving around and you're looking for a parking spot and one opens up, boom, you pull in and you think, what a blessing, right? And, and all those things are blessings indeed, but God... Uh, wants to redefine a little bit exactly what a blessing is, and, and that's Jesus's, I believe, his primary motive in the Sermon on the Mount. Another word that you could use is to be satisfied. And so if you're fully satisfied or if you're fulfilled, you would consider yourself blessed. As he gets into the Sermon on the Mount, though, he starts to declare blessing on things that we normally wouldn't declare blessing on. And so he says, blessed are the poor, or blessed are the poor in spirit. He said, blessed are the meek, blessed are the humble. So these things that we don't typically, at least in our culture, declare blessing on. And then today we're going to talk about, he says, blessed are those who mourn. Now usually we don't necessarily sign up for mourning and consider, what a blessing. But in ancient cultures, certainly, if you didn't have things going for you in life, so particular um, ailments that you might have. So whether they be physical or whether they be you're kind of on the lower class status in your society, uh, people would certainly not declare you blessed. And in a lot of cultures, they, they see that almost as like you're kind of cursed by God. And so when Jesus comes and, and takes these uh, states that people are in and says, no, this, this is a blessing, it totally flips the script of what they're used to. And the word that he uses in, is blessed highlights the presence of God. 
So he says, instead of circumstance, instead of talents, instead of ability, instead of your reputation, he says, actually, what makes you blessed or successful or what's satisfying is the presence of God himself. And so it's important to remember as we walk through this series, I believe that's Jesus' primary motivator. And that makes sense, right? We know Jesus came to make God the Father known. So this falls in line with that. Where he's starting to say, uh, in, in different words, the greatest good, the greatest gift of the gospel is God himself. The greatest gift of the gospel is God himself. And I'm here, Jesus says, to usher that in in a way that you've never seen, never experienced before. Not only will I be with you, but I will be in you. So again, that's what he's highlighting. That's what he's lifting up. But he's doing another thing. He's also reordering what we value. And so to, to declare yourself fulfilled, it usually has to do with if you get the things that you greatly value, right? And so as, as your values get reorganized, which he's beginning to do here for the people who are following him, it changes what satisfies you. And, and you guys know what this is like. You can relate to this. When I was 17, I started dating a, a cute girl named Sherry. And my values started to change. It, I, it, they were reordered. At the time, she was in Denver. And so all of a sudden, I was willing to miss different relationships with my friends or opportunities athletically just to go down and see her. And that was weird for me. But you realize all of a sudden what was going to satisfy me was time with her over other things. And so there's a, Jesus is doing similar things to that where he's saying, I know you've always lifted this idea up or this possession up or this status up. And he's saying, actually, as you begin to follow me, as you begin to see and value what I value, as you begin to see the kingdom of God and recognize what's important, you're going to begin to see what's fulfilling and you're going to begin to align your life in that way. Some friends of mine and some co-workers that I minister with uh, went down to Hurricane Katrina right after it struck New Orleans. And they tell stories of, one, the devastation, but two, uh, the fascinating thing when everything is stripped away and you have a homeless man in line waiting to get a bottle of water, a jug of water, a drink of water that my friends were handing out. And right behind the homeless man was this brand shiny yellow H2 Hummer. And this guy pulls up and guess what he wants? He wants water too. Where all of a sudden it doesn't matter what you own, what your social status is. When you don't have water, you don't have anything. And so pretty soon, they're on the same, it's a great equalizer, right? And in a lot of ways, I think that's what Jesus is, is preaching here, is that the presence of God is what true blessing and true satisfaction is. And the presence of God is available to all kinds of people. Not only those who seem to have it put together. In fact, the rest of scripture talks about almost the opposite, right? Those who don't. And so Jesus is saying, God is available to anyone who would come to him for fulfillment. He is available to anyone who wants to follow him and love him. 
See, Jesus is exalting himself first and his teaching second. And I think that's extra important when you read through the Sermon on the Mount. Every other great teacher in history, Aristotle, Plato, they, they raise up their ideas, right? Here's the idea, here's the principle, follow those. Jesus is doing something different. He says secondary things are important, but they're secondary. Jesus exalts himself first and says, these teachings come from me. And I think that helps me understand some of these um, comments that he makes. Matthew 5, 4, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. So it begs the question, how does God comfort us? He's declaring that he will. How does he comfort us? Today we're going to talk about three different ways that I see God comfort us. One is his presence. Two are his promises. And three are his people. Psalms 23, 4, talking about the presence of God and how it can comfort us, says this. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. When Griffin was about two or three years old, we were at a church function at a different church. Uh, in the sanctuary, the event was taking place, and the rest of the church was locked down. And so he was uh, in the lobby with me, and he had a little ball he was playing with and bouncing around. And then he lost it, and it started rolling down this hallway, and the hallway didn't have any lights on. And so he took off after his ball and then he stopped right where the darkness started. And he just watched his ball roll away. And so I watched him for maybe five seconds and then I just walked up right next to him. And without even looking at me, as soon as I got shoulder to shoulder with him, guess what he did? Took off after his ball. And he went and got his ball and he retreated pretty fast. But the presence of his father gave him courage and comforted him in a moment where to him that was walking through the valley of the shadow of death, right? But the presence of our Father brings comfort and allows us to face those dark hallways in our life. Blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted. Psalm 1611 brings a little bit more than comfort because there's a lot of seasons in your life where you all know there's certain moments where mourning doesn't, doesn't just disappear knowing that there's a comfort of God. You're simply being sustained. You're just enduring day to day. But oftentimes God brings more than just sustaining. Psalm 1611 says, You make known to me the path of life. In your presence, God, there is fullness of joy. And at your right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. Psalms 46, 1 and 2, again talking about the presence of God. God is our refuge and our strength, an ever-present help in times of trouble. Therefore, I will not fear. An ever-present help in times of trouble. When I was 10, I developed a bone cyst in my arm. It was hollow right here. Um, and so it didn't allow me to play baseball to the full extent that I wanted to for a few years and had different injections and surgeries. And then when I was 12, I got the clear to pitch again. And so 12-year-old was phenomenal for me. I loved every bit of it until the last game of the season. I, I was pitching and I rotated and my arm just snapped in half. And the ball went floating up into the backstop. And you know those times where, where time just kind of freezes? And so in that moment, everything just stopped for me. And I thought, my gosh, someone just shot me. 
And I thought, no, no, no one shot you. I just got hit by a bat. No, no, that didn't happen either. And then it picked up again and I realized, oh, I just broke my arm. And I rolled on my back. And the words that came out of my mouth, totally involuntarily, I just yelled, Daddy! Now, I lived in North Carolina for a while. And choir boys and conflict, convicts both call Father Daddy down there. But here, you don't hear that a whole lot, especially when you're 12 years old and you, you want to be macho. I can't remember a single time in my life that I called my dad daddy. But in that moment, it came out without thinking and it just exploded out. Why? I didn't know what was going to happen from that moment, but I was in pain and I knew my Abba knew what to do. He was going to know what to do. He was going to fix it. He was going to help take care of it. And so as I kind of looked up and I had all these heads looking over me, my dad started to engage the plan. He picked me up and he found a ride and we started going to the hospital. Now that whole time, my arm still hurt. But I was comforted by the fact that my Abba was near and was present and was in process of taking care of it. Over and over in the scriptures, God says, call upon me, cry out to me, your father, your daddy, your Abba. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Many times in the moment of your mourning and you recognize the presence of God is with you, your arm still hurts, you still have mourning, but yet I totally believe mourning and comfort can, can coexist. That even though we don't know the entire plan and the entire solution and how this is going to play out, the fact that God is with us, does that not bring you great comfort? Jesus knew this when he died and resurrected and as he is meeting with his disciples right before he ascends to heaven he gives them the great commission right he says go and make disciples of all the earth and then he leaves them with something he says and lo i am with you always even to the end of the age so he leaves with a promise and so the presence of god brings comfort and the promise of god brings great comfort Many times we're comforted by current graces, things that we experience in the here and now. Uh, I believe the greatest picture of this is the person of the Holy Spirit. In John 14, 16, Jesus says, I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper that he may be with you forever. So this is the promise to those who put their faith in Jesus that the indwelling Holy Spirit lives within them to move and manifest himself. Me and my boys watched the movie Venom last night. And so there's a guy that gets an organism inside him and he's host. And so he talks to him in his head and then he manifests himself through him. It was like, I wouldn't say perfect representation of the gospel. But it gave you a picture of what it's like to be, be, be taken by something. The Holy Spirit venom. We see gospel everywhere, right? Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted because of what God is currently doing in our lives. Romans 8, 28. Again, 10 years old. Baseball's taken away from me. This verse, God just illuminated and came alive. 8, 28 and 29 says this. And we know for those who love God, 
all things are working together for the good, for those whom he called according to his purpose. Those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. So whatever sorrow, sadness, mourning, trials that we're in, God promises he's going to use those for our good. And then he defines what good is for us. This, Nick, is making you like Jesus. You're learning to love like Jesus. You're learning to trust me like I trust my father. So even though the circumstance and the situation might be mournful and truly break the heart of God, he says, watch what I do with this. I'm going to produce good out of bad. Brings you great comfort. Sometimes he comforts you with the promise of future graces. 2 Corinthians 4 16 says, so we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. 17, for this light momentary, momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look, not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are seen are eternal. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Many times comfort comes in not your current situations, but what you know is coming. Amen? Many of you have heard me say before, I, I believe that God, when Jesus says, Behold, I make all things new, and he is in the process of redeeming everything. I think he starts at the core of our being in our spirit. Placing your faith in Jesus, he says he, he puts his spirit inside your spirit. And so now it is complete, it is new, it is renewed, it is perfect. And then he goes to work on our soul, our thought process, and our emotions, and our desires. And he says, I'm in the process of making that complete. And then he goes to our relationships, and he goes to our bodies, and he makes those complete. And he, pretty soon he makes our entire world complete and whole and perfect. And to me, it brings me so much comfort, regardless of circumstance, that that's coming. Amen? It's coming. It's coming. And so sometimes God has to grant you the faith to believe and trust in things that you can't quite see, but you know are real. And as a result of that, your mourning can be comforted. When I was probably four years old, uh, my uncle, who my dad's brother, Dick, committed suicide. And I don't remember a ton of this, but I remember just visions and bits of driving in the car with my mom. And she is bawling and bawling. She's weeping and weeping and weeping. And I continued to look at her and say, Mom, it's going to be okay. Mom, it's going to be okay. Mom, it's going to be okay. And I can't tell you how many times that one phrase, that one belief carries me through life that regardless of what comes regardless of the situation you're in regardless of how people feel about you it's going to be okay because God has promised now many times it doesn't come in the form that we want it to or when we want it to and that's where we have to go back and learn to trust like Jesus trusts blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted Knowing God's presence 
knowing God's promises. And then the third one is God uses his people to comfort us greatly. And this makes sense, right? Because where is God's presence now? It's in his people. And so it would make sense that God uses his people many times to remind you of his constant presence, remind you of his promises for your good and his glory, but also you get to experience that presence and those promises. And generally this happens with other people. Think of times in your life where you were never sure you'd smile again. Or times where you lost something so dear to you that you couldn't imagine moving forward in life. Or certainly not having joy again. But yet, God in his kindness and his grace and his mercy brings someone or some people along and you find yourself laughing. And even though your sorrow isn't gone or that which was lost has not been restored yet, for just a moment you realize, I can still experience a bit of joy. That's God. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. I was counseling a young gal, probably 22, 23 years old, and she knew a lot of my uh, story in terms of getting a virus in my spinal cord and losing my legs and, and the paralysis and everything that resulted in that. And she was well, well aware of that. And she was walking through hard times um, emotionally and situationally and relationships that were kind of in, on the rocks. And so she was downcast. She was mourning. And I'm teaching her some truth, running my mouth, and all of a sudden she just kind of bursts out in, a, in, in crying. And it took me off guard because it wasn't really appropriate for what I was telling her. It didn't fit. And, and so I stopped and I said, what just happened? And she said, well, I sit here and I watch you smile and I watch you have joy and I watch you carry yourself with hope and it gives me hope that I can do that. So it didn't matter what I was saying. God was just taking a circumstance that just infused hope into her that maybe, maybe I can experience this joy again because I'm watching you. Thankfully, she wasn't listening to a word I said, right? But man, is this not 2 Corinthians 1, 3 through 5, where it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are afflicted in their way with the same comfort that we receive from God. It's the idea of paying it forward, right? And you can give testament to this, I'm sure, in your life over and over and over. How somebody God used to comfort you in a different season of your life, next thing you know, you're the one that God's using to comfort them. Almost in spite of us, right? Praise God for his graces. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. David in Psalms 43, 2 through 5, he says this, why do I go on mourning because of the oppression of my enemies? Oh, send your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling place. Then I will go to the altar of God, to God my exceeding joy. 
And upon the lyre I shall praise you, O God, my God. Why are you in despair, O my soul? And why are you disturbed within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him. And help, and the help of my countenance and my God. You see, as believers in Christ, as followers of Christ, we are never without hope. So we experience affliction, we experience mourning, we experience suffering. We lose things. But God says those things never have to lead to despair. Those things never crush you, it says in 2 Corinthians. Why? Because God is there with you and God is still ruler of everything and every situation and every circumstance. And that God has made promises and a claim on your life that he will accomplish good for you. And God has made promises to the world that he is taking everything bad and he is making it new. And so as Christians, there's a, there's a bit of untouchableness that we have to us. That we can lose all kinds of things, but yet we never lose eternal things. And we never, ever, ever lose hope. So regardless of what is causing mourning in our lives, we always have something to move forward to. We always have something that God is doing that is going to restore that which was lost by sin and by the destruction that it brings to our world and our hearts and our relationships and our families and our bodies. God continues to say, I have another move. Hold on. I'm coming. Blessed, blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. Let's pray. Father, there's so many things in our lives that don't make sense to us. There's so many things that we lose. There's so many things that we value that um, are taken from us for a season. And as a result, that produces great mourning and great heartache. But in all that, even though we don't fully know how or when you're going to restore we know you are and I think of the disciples when when Jesus came to earth and he said follow me and they put aside the rest of the things in their life and they followed fast and hard and close to the rabbi and even though they didn't know what was in store and many times their their expectation was off and their guess was wrong they're close to Jesus in his presence and that brings great comfort and so I pray that you would continue to remind me remind your people that you are with them always even to the end of the age and as a result of following you we can be those ministers and ambassadors to remind each other to be those sources of laughter and joy restored to be the comforters it's in Christ's name we pray and we give praise and thank you amen you know, as Nick was sharing that story about uh, when his arm broke and baseball, I was in the dugout because I was uh, the assistant coach to his dad. And as he shared that, I just, my eyes filled with tears because I was reliving that moment and uh, to watch how God has been faithful through all of uh, our lives is amazing. This old song came to my mind. It goes like this.